Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. Tonight, we're once again recording live at the Open Eye Figure Theater in Minneapolis with our elite audience of local Patreon supporters. Yeah. It's a totally different audience from the last episode. <laughs> They switch seats. <laughs> We're also joined by theatrical luminary and featured member of the Morals Performance Group, Shannon Custer. Hello, thank hey. you. Tonight is my pick, and I chose an episode of Crime Classics entitled If a Body Need a Body, Just Call Burke and Hare. Crime Classics debuted on CBS Radio June 15, 1953. As the title suggests, it was an anthology series featuring dramatizations of true crime stories, ranging from truly classic cases like Jack the Ripper and the assassination of Abraham Lincoln to lesser-known crimes such as Bathsheba Spooner, the first woman in the United States to be tried and executed for murder. The program was created, produced, and directed by the prolific and multi-talented Elliot Lewis. Scripts were by Morton S. Fine and David Freakin, who, at the same time, were collaborating with Lewis on another radio series, Broadway Is My Beat. Not to be outdone, Lewis was simultaneously directing, producing, and starring in a third series for CBS, on stage with Kathy and Elliot Lewis. In fact, during the fall of 1953, crime classics and on stage were broadcast back-to-back. Lewis, Fine, and Friedkin approached the program's dark subject matter with an equally dark sense of humor. The droll tone was personified by the host and narrator, fictitious connoisseur of crime, Thomas Highland. Veteran radio actor Lou Merrill played Highland with an audibly arched eyebrow, delighting in each dark and ironic step in the murderer's twisted path from crime to punishment. And now, let's listen to If a Body Need a Body, Just Call Birkin Hare from Crime Classics, first broadcast December 2nd, 1953. It's late at night, and a chill is set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sound coming from the speaker. Listen to the music, and listen to the voices. Good evening. This is Crime Classics. I am Thomas Highland with another true story of crime. Listen. That's the way a room sounds. A particular room in a narrow street in Edinburgh, Scotland. Someplace on the wall there was a drip. When the room was still, when there was a lodger in it, asleep, that was the sound. But listen again. That's the way it sounded when it rained because the room was just below gutter level and the rainwater rushed by the room's only window. Many lodgers caught cold in this room. They were lucky. Many other lodgers wound up on a dissecting table. They were murdered by Mr. Burke, who smothered, by Mr. Hare, who held. So tonight, my report to you, if a body need a body, just call Burke and Hare. Crime Classics. 
a series of true crime stories from the records and newspapers of every land from every time. Your host each week, Mr. Thomas Highland, connoisseur of crime, student of violence, and teller of murders. Now, once again, Mr. Thomas Highland. Edinburgh in 1826, a city famous for lassies, laddies, people coming through the rye, scotch, kilties, and medical schools. It is this last I'd like to speak a word about. Now, when a student entered medical school, he studied anatomy right off. No Roman in the gloaming. Enter school, cut up a cadaver. Except there weren't enough cadavers. Executed criminals were the only legitimate source of supply. Therefore, a new occupation sprang up and flourished. Grave snatching, piecework in corpses, rob a grave of its contents and sell it to science. Yet, the supply didn't meet the demand. So, as in every profession, there were those who looked for shortcuts. Burke and Hare came up with one. They owned that room I told you about. A room in Tanner's Close. I'm tired of waiting for him to die, Burke. Go look at him. Yes, I can't tell whether he's breathing or not. The old man's so skinny, so sick. Hear if his heart beats. It beats. Such a skinny man. Such a sick, skinny man. Such a sick, skinny old man. And he will not die. Burke. I. The other who sought lodging here and who died brought us eight pounds. Aye. This one? Aye. He's older than the last. Dr. Knox will not be happy of him. However, we should not accept less than eight pounds. Aye. Hair. Is there more whiskey hair? Nor food. Oh. Nothing. Nothing save an old sick skinny man who takes space and will not die. It's so cold here. Oh, oh, my hands be numb. Whiskey would warm them from the fingertips. From the fingertips... Hair. Aye? Hair. Say it, man. If this old man were to die this minute... If we were to stuff him in the tea chest this minute... Walk with him to the anatomy laboratory of Dr. Knox... And Dr. Knox pays upon delivery... We would have whiskey in a half hour from now. Well, that is, if this old man were to die this minute. But that would be murder. Tood. Have you ever done a thing like that? No, 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 no. Such an old man. To lie sick. To suffer in a cold room. Wet room. No family to give him comfort. Ah, poor old man. Burke. I. To kill him would be to bruise him. Dr. Knox perhaps would not accept a corpse unprettied by bruises. However... What? However, if I... If I put my hand over his nose and mouth like this... Jamie! At such a time like... Oh, such a time to come. (laughs) 
gone. Hold his feet, hair, so he'll not kick. Aye, lad, like that. Is he dead? I'll listen to his heart. Is he dead? Is he dead? Is he dead? Is he dead? Dead. You have called me from my lecturing, gentlemen. To insist upon it, I, I suggest... Enough it. words, Dr. Knox. Take a look. Hmm? Now, was it worth calling you away for, Doctor? A half hour dead, I'd say. Less, wouldn't you say, Hare? Oh, I'd say it was worth more than eight pounds. Fine specimen. Fresh. Ten pounds. I'm not a quibbler, gentlemen. As a matter of fact, I'm on record as saying that quibbling is a... The lecture's of... in the other room, Doctor... Uh, just give us the tenor. Certainly. Here. Thank you. Ah, two bodies in a week, gentlemen. Basis for an acquaintanceship, do you know, think? Therefore, if I might make a suggestion. Suggest away. Two bodies in a week. Both male. My students, when they will become physicians, will be called upon to administer to both sexes. Therefore, you want a lady. Good day, gentlemen. I must back to my students. Dr. Knox had more students than anybody. He was much admired in the city of Edinburgh, a man of culture and wit and an excellent surgeon. A democratic man, he got along as well with the aristocracy of the city as with its murderers. A proof? Ain't that Dr. Knox a nice gent, hey? A ruggy-boo, a danny man. <laughs> proof, as furnished by Burke and Hare. Two fellows with ten, uh, less what they paid for a bottle. He said he wanted a lady. Have a drink. Aye. <sighs> a real ruggy-boo, that Dr. Knox. A drink. And arm in arm, they walked through the slums of Edinburgh. And they looked fine against this background. Rags, bones, catskin, human hair. Rags and bones and catskin and human hair and cast-off shoes. Trinkets and fish heads. Secondhand goods pervade to people who were dying the instant they were born. Stalls of tatters, shops of fragments and shame, alleys and filth, ten years old. And through it, chameleons, burke and hare. Have a drink, Mr. Hare. <laughs> Have a drink. Hi, Jimmy. Hi, lad. Have a drink. Who knew? Here's a coin, lad. Thank you. 
You got a song I can sing for you? Oh, have a drink, lad. Oh, no, sir, Mr. Burke. Oh, no, sir, Mr. Burke. <laughs> like an angel, he says it. <laughs> angel with cheek like down between my fingers. Have a drink. No, sir. No, you run. Give the coin to your mother, boy. Funky. Come along, Hare. I... Uh, I was saying, Hare... About Dr. Knox, you were saying. Aye. What his lack was. What he said he's needing. Have a drink. Hey, there's no more in it here. <laughs> Ain't me wanting a drink. Aye, there's a place. Aye. Aye, aye, barman. A bottle of your finest. Aye, that's the word, barman. The finest. The finest for Burke and Hare. <laughs> uh, have a drink, Mr. Hare. Uh, yeah. mm. Mm. Uh, have a drink, Burke. Hey, Billy Burke! Mary, Mary, Mary. A lady. Such as ladies are in this corner of Edinburgh here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Laughing. Tell me a one so I can do a laughing too. A fable, Mary. Pretty Mary. Bonny Mary. And not for your ears. And what of my ears? Oh, dainty and little pearl shell. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> give us a kiss. Uh, give us a copper. Good, Mary. Yeah, have a copper, Mary. Give us a kiss, Mary. Uh, a bargain's a bargain. Ain't it? Such pretty shoulders on you. What'd you say? Uh, such pretty shoulders. Uh, you're a darling. Now, is it true Mary was painted by an artist? Uh, true. A dolly lad with a beard. A tickling beard. Hi, <laughs> Mary. A kiss of copper. You need lodgings tonight, Mary. Aye. One more copper and I can pay for it. Oh, I got a clean room, a lodgings room. Next to McCobbler's shop, I got one. Aye, I've heard. And, and from the looks of your shoes, Mary, you could stand some cobbling. Uh, with what money? For free. Now, ain't them pretty words, Mary? For free. Oh. <laughs> for free. Cobbling for your pretty feeties. And, 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 and a clean bed. Now, come along, Mary. What trick? Come along, Mary. Is it a trick? Now, come along, Mary. You wouldn't have played a trick, would you? <laughs> you just come along. Oh, very well. Patterson went to the room under the gutter, and Mary took off her shoes to cobble. <laughs> and she lay down in bed to sleep. Ah, she was very beautiful. You are listening to Crime Classics and your host, Thomas Hyland. The fighting in Korea has stopped, but the nation's need for blood donors goes on. 
If you've given blood, don't lose interest now. During peacetime, America has its chance to build vital blood reserves to the point where no emergency, whatever its magnitude, catches us unprepared. Give blood regularly, the painless way to be prepared. Call your local Red Cross chapter or local hospital blood bank for an appointment. And now once again, Thomas Highland and the second act of Crime Classics. And his report to you on If a Body Need a Body, Just Call Burke and Hare. winter of 1826, Edinburgh was a talk again about the latest appearance of the Loch Ness Monster. And speaking of lochs, Edinburgh was also a talk about the Loch Fenwick Imbroglio, whereby Sir Angus McDermott was stripped of his tartan and forced to flee with his six sons to the Netherlands, where they were received with snickers by the populace. Having been thus rocked, Edinburgh was little prepared for what was in store, for in Tanner's Close a street that spilled into a pigsty, there lived two men. As sure as my name is Billy Burke, she's a pretty. And Billy Burke's friend, Billy Hare. Aye, and a bonny sleeper. Aye. Hold, hold her. Is she dead? Is she dead? I. Is she dead? I said I. Tell me, is she dead? What's gotten to you, man? Oh, oh. Uh, and such a bonny sleeper. So. Why must I slap you so, man? <laughs> Tell me a thing, Burke. Aye. That pretty thing. Is she dead? I said it. Now what's gotten to you? Tell me, tell me, tell me. Didn't you feel the slaps, man? Oh. Oh, what is it? She be dead. Aye, she'll fetch 20 pounds in a dead market. Aye. Now give us a hand. What what did you do to her? Hair! Billy, hair, what? Hair! The thing you did to her. Then, then, you remember, that's the gutter right above the only window in the room. Then, carrying her in this rain. Let's wait a bit. Maybe it'll stop. And they sat there, the two of them, their presence making complete the nightmare scene. The room of moistened shadows, of a girl dead, of a heaping of rags in the corner clothes of two others who had died there. And outside, the thin yelping. 
and outside the thin hand still outstretched. I need out of here, Burke. I? I need out of here, Burke. Fetch the tea chest. I need out of here, Burke. I. I, lad. pleasant that you invited me for tea, Dr. Knox. A ritual, sir. To all who come to me to learn. I, um, I like to get to know my young doctors. <laughs> no doctor yet. Ah, uh, but as good as one. It is said from London north to here, in all of the cities there is no greater teacher in the field of anatomical study than you, sir. I see that. Wherever doctors gather, <laughs> those who have studied with you are assured of a future. <laughs> uh, hold your thought, young man. I'll return in a moment. Who is it? How close your lamp, Dr. Knox. Quick, man, who is it? Bert, Birkenhaya. And the teachers. Oh, inside. Quickly. Eh? Well, what have you? You made a suggest the last time we were here to deliver, Doctor. Well, well. Show him. Aye. How close your lamp when you look what we've brought you. Good. Twenty pounds good. That good? Yeah. Twenty pounds. Here. Thank you. What? What's the matter, Doctor? Why is her hand clenched so tightly? Why, I, I'm sure, sir, that... Well, let's have a look. Yeah. Let's un- tighten. There. Two coppers. I wonder. You wonder what, Doctor? Such a pretty she is. Why to be clenching so tight to two coppers in her hand? Why, I wonder that too. Oh, and so do I. I have a guest. Good evening, gentlemen. Now, young sir, I believe you're holding a thought. What is it? Eventually, it stopped raining, and life went on in the alleys of Edinburgh, and over the counters and stalls, the second-hand things were bartered for, became necessities for a time, and were bartered again. And from these alleys... Sixteen people known disappeared. Sixteen people to whom death, too, was somehow secondhand, having known dying every day of their existence. One of them 
Twenty pounds lie Give the boy a copper, Mr. Hare. Aye. Here, catch. Anki. <laughs> now, come along and I'll cobble you a pair of shoes, lad. Oh, I, I, I don't... Uh... Oh, for free, lad. For free. Funky, funky. And two days later, around the corner and down the street and up a hall and through a gate and up a walk and through a door. Now, if you'll come closer, young doctors, you will see how an incision from the umbilicus to this point, the sternum, then laterally uh, Dr. to... Dr. Knox. A moment, please, sir, and I'll answer the question. Such an incision made with... Uh, Dr. Knox. Oh, such insistence. Very well. Not very well at all, however. I- I'm sure this boy has been murdered. Murdered? Two nights ago, I saw this boy. He was singing a song in Tanner's Close. Tanner's Close? That garbage scow? This boy is known as Jamie. I know, for I spoke with him. And he sang a song for me. And he was well. And, sir... Aye? There is a bruise here. Come, close here. At his throat. Surely that is a bruise. Young sir, what are you after? So much talk of how bodies are obtained for dissection. Therefore... Young sir, what are you after? Surely you would not condone murder as a source of supply. Young sir, you have not answered my question. When I have asked you, what are you after? I mean, is it to become a physician? Yes, sir. And a healer? Yes, sir. And knowledgeable in your profession? Yes, sir. Then admit, sir, that the study of the human body is a prime requisite. Of course. Return to your place, sir. Yes, sir. The incision I now make from the umbilicus toward this point on the sternum and then laterally. Lady, lady, now. You want to buy rags, bones, feathers? You want what? to sell. And what to sell? Come see. Where? I've got a place. Rags. A big bag full. I'll come to look. Then come. Come. A bit. This be my son-in-law, gents. Mind the stall, Gray. I go with these gents to buy. Feathers! Frogs, bones, hats, Here! Where be this place? In Tanner's Close, near the end. Near the pigsty? Aye. Oh, love me. How can you live there? Some say it is difficult, Granny. Come, come. No, no. What is she? Uh, who do you speak of, son? My Mimsy. Who be you? I'm Gray, Mimsy's son-in-law. Mimsy, who you took last night. Ah. Who you took last night to Selty. She didn't return. All the night long I waited. Why, lad? Why? What is she? 
Shit, gone. Aye, gone. And to, to where did my mimsy go? Gentle lad, gentle. Away with your hand. Such a big lad, such a big... What's that? Now, lad, now. Mimsy's shawl. A mistake, lad. Mimsy's shawl. And here, the shirt of her. And blood. Now, gentle lad, uh, now here, uh, take a fiver and... Blood, take... blood. All these rags. Mimsy! Hold him back, I'll get me a knife. Yeah, here's I... Mimsy. Uh... Under the rags is Mimsy. Please! finally got himself understood by the police. They came then to Tanner's Close and found Mimsy. Then they found Burke and Hare. Then they were asked if they had anything to do with Mimsy's death. I done it. And to 17 others. Just like that. Confessed. For some reason that history makes obscure or just doesn't like to talk about, Hare was let free. Burke, however, suffered the last penalty of the law. He was brought to the gibbet, his heart pounding. The rope was placed about his neck. And his body was delivered to Dr. Monroe's academy, where it was dissected by young sirs on their way to becoming doctors. And Dr. Knox, Dr. Knox, buyer of murdered men... He fled from scandal and disappeared. But one source has it that he was seen some ten years later walking the narrow street in Edinburgh called Tanner's Close. Walking northward toward the pigsty. In just a moment, Thomas Highland will tell you about next week's crime classic. Burke and Hare, tonight's crime classic, was adapted from the original court reports and newspaper accounts by Morton Fine and David Friedkin. The music was composed and conducted by Bernard Herman, and the program is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis. Thomas Highland is portrayed on radio by Lou Merrill. In tonight's story, Jack Crucian was heard as Mr. Burke, and Jay Novello as Mr. Hare. Featured in tonight's cast were William Johnstone, Jeanette Nolan, Charles Davis, Betty Harford, and Richard Peel. Bob Lamont speaking. And here again is Thomas Highland. Next week, Washington, D.C., on the night of April 14th, 1865. My report to you will be on the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. Thank you. Good night. CBS Radio's 21st Precinct has moved to a new neighborhood. Follow the exciting work of Captain Kennelly and his 21st Precinct every Friday night on most of these same stations starting this Friday. 
Don't miss the gripping case of the LD number 80, revealing a great human story behind an elderly man's application for a gun permit on this Friday's 21st Precinct program. America listens most to the CBS radio network. That was If a Body Needs a Body, just called Burke and Hare from Crime Classics here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And I'm Shannon. And we are live at Open Eye Theater in Minneapolis. And Shannon Custer is joining us for these special live broadcasts, along with a lot of our Patreons who are here with us. Yay! That was fantastic to get. Two weeks in a row of Ethel Merman. <laughs> <laughs> right? That was Ethel Merman just yes, they wailing. Because they could hear her lyrics <laughs> <laughs> through the thick uh, fog. I can't oh, wait for that... someone to tell me what just happened. <laughs> but I want to start with this. The four of us, the first time we ever worked together. Now, those three knew each other long before I knew them. But the first time the four of us was a show called London After Midnight that Shannon cast me in. There's really a (laughs) fan back there. Uh, So uh, she cast me in it as Varney the Vampire. I had just met her. And when I walked in to that first rehearsal, I met them for the first time. He's pointing at Tim Tim and Joshua. Joshua, yeah. And these two played Burke and Hare. Uh, But we all played multiple characters. You played Moriarty. No. Did I? No, you, you did. <laughs> did I? Yes. I was Moriarty. Moriarty. I love it when we play middle-aged men try to remember roles they had 20 <laughs> years ago in theater. But it was a great show, and it was uh, co-written or written by you, both yeah, of you? I yeah, don't I was in charge of the Burke and Hare yeah. stuff. Who was Burke and who was Hare? Do you remember? I was Burke and you were Hare. Yes. And one of you was in a tree, and one of them was down below, and I remember watching... And I don't know, it was new to theater, I guess, because they were standing next to each other and one was looking up and one was looking down. <laughs> and I went, oh, that works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like being in a tree. And I was like, theater, mmm. So anyway. We had the classic comedy duo dynamic of one of them was slightly dumber than the other one. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was slightly dumber. Yes. <laughs> it was a little more Funny grave yeah. robbing, you know. It was very the funny. Side of grave robbing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, so, is that why you picked this? There's Tim? Uh, a few different reasons. <laughs> one, I love crime classics. Yes. Um, uh, every one of them I heard so far, uh, for this reason that it is a little nostalgia for the, the four of us here. And also because I know how much you love heartbeat sounds. Yeah, God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this uh, Eric is... has 26 different hang-ups <laughs> and um, heartbeats. I don't like them. Right at the top. Yep. I hate the sound of a heartbeat. He, he can't even, if you're taking his pulse, oh. he has to like check out of I his body. I don't want to think about it. Yeah, I saw you get up and stretch during the show. <laughs> Couldn't take it. This. I don't know what it is. Like I don't want to, I don't know. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> yeah, Eric's like, shut up, heart. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> Stop. I try to explain. It's actually comforting, but yeah, no, it's it's weird. <laughs> so that's why you brought it to expose yes. that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you want to bring an episode of guy floating in water next to giant ship, 
That's another one of my, like, you ever seen a ship, a giant ship in the water? And I think, what if you were right next to it in the water? And then I go, ah, 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 ah. Like, like, <laughs> I think it's like under docks and stuff. I barely yeah. understand what that one yeah, is. Yeah, it's, it's wow. deep, Imagine a giant ship and you're really tiny and you're right next to that. water, oh, yeah. Ah, barnacles and, I don't know. That's not where you swim. <laughs> There's no beach there. Fascinating. Luckily, he's able to avoid most of these yeah. things. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't become a doctor. No ships. <laughs> I'm not a ship. <laughs> okay, I can float next to Tim all day. Yeah, now you're listening to Crime Classics because he dis- uh, Joshua discovered it. And brought it to us, correct? Is that how you was discovered it? Because the first one we listened to was Buddy Baumler. Was that a... That uh, was a listener request. Listener yeah. request, yeah. And so we did recently listen to another crime classics that was uh, Death of a Picture Hanger, and we recently performed that. We performed uh, that live, yeah. This episode was actually on my list of episodes to one Ooh. day bring to the podcast as well, so I also enjoyed it. I've only listened to the crime classics you guys have forced uh, brought to uh, me, <laughs> and uh, so I have not listened to any of the other ones, but now, have you, the two of you made your way through a, a whole bunch of them? No. Oh, no, I, I specifically look for Burke and Hare because uh, we played the roles. Ah, I see. But you like crime classics. I do, yes. You do too. Yes, perhaps we should discuss why. (laughs) I'd love to find out. So you didn't understand what happened. You I Here's what happened. It gets to that point where that one guy was talking and I couldn't understand it. It was like Charlie Brown's teacher. And I went, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I did listen to it. Twice and no, I uh, I have Never a hard time. Listen to the Hobbit. Yeah, well, the, Train the Spotting radio version. The movie you Train Spotting. Uh, well, yeah. That movie it takes about ten minutes for my head to acclimate to the accent that I can start understanding what they're saying. So no, I didn't understand what he was saying, but he ran away. <laughs> well, you brought this, Tim. Start selling it. Sure. Um, Prime Classics in general, and this is no exception, has this very charming little way of. Oh, it's patronizing. Sorry, crime classics. Uh, this charming way of, at a very sort of slow, even pace, just tell you some of the worst things you've ever heard. Yeah. Um, right. Uh, and this is a horrible story between two people who are, for the most part, very uh, polite to each other and uh, considered and discuss things rationally. And then one freaks out and then they get drunk. Um, and then they repeat the process. <laughs> um, am I selling it? Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, I loved uh, it. The tone shifts are so absurdistly beautiful. I'm I'm gonna guess that was Jeanette Nolan screaming at the yes, top of her was. lungs. Yep. I yeah. love Jeanette Nolan. It was uh, Ethel Merman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even do it. It's so beautiful. You have to pay top dollar at a Renaissance fair to get that kind of quality <laughs> screening. Um, it is true. She didn't say salted nuts once. <laughs> Wait, there's a scale to better entertainment at the Renaissance Festival? Like, if I paid more, different oh, things sure. would have, I didn't know that. I had to try a different gate. <laughs> I love the, the music and the... The dankness of it and the smell of when they're in that room. 
Yeah. And he says, I don't like this or whatever. And I'm like, I don't either. <laughs> you know, because there's a dead body. And then when he, he says there's like a pile of clothes. Three piles. So like the, no, the clothes of people no. who've been dead for a week. Uh, I, I made it through Outlander for 20 minutes because I was like, the smell. <laughs> the smell. But anyway, yeah. So this is only my second crime classics. I like the way it takes its time. Every crime classic opens with that line, listen. And then it yeah, okay. sets you up with some really narratively significant sound effect. Um, and this one I like in particular because it weaves all the sounds throughout the entire episode. And slowly, one by one, all the voices and all the sounds come together. We Obviously, we hear the dripping water and the rain. Uh, but we hear very early on Jamie's voice singing when they're killing the first old man. And they have to wait because they're afraid they'd he'd be seen. Poor old man. Poor skinny old, old man. Skinny. Poor skinny. Who just won't die. It was his fault, oh, honestly. Come on. such He's a sad scene. Stubborn. Uh, <laughs> but then we hear the... the peddler woman screeching throughout mm. and you think it's kind of background right it adds this atmosphere that speaks to the just poverty they are all living in mm-hmm. but then her death ends up becoming what gets them caught in the end and, right. just, and, and then the heartbeat that moves throughout it as well so I just think it's always really well structured and it is the later era of radio so they are using sound in this very knowing sophisticated way and it also presumes a certain amount of knowledge and experience with the form from the listeners by that time in radio's history right. there is a bleak historical detail they left out of this that i'm curious if you because you wrote this these characters shannon of what happened to burke after he was given to medical i was stuff. trying to remember and i should remember this it's terrible his skin was used that's, to bind a book that's it okay i knew see there's a reason i ejected that from my brain <laughs> so so he was bought by ed gein now i will never forget yes yeah. yes and hair vanished for good he no one knows what vanished. happened to him. that yeah. i remembered yeah so i was going to ask about the historical context they quickly mention you know one goes away and the other doesn't do we know why what happened in that trial that he or why the other one wasn't brought to trial we don't and it's one of the things i really like about crime classics is it gets to that point and they don't have the information and they just leave it undramatized right like today we would fill it in and give it all sorts of deeper meaning and then the real people involved would get angry it would be like the staircase on hbo (laughs) and everyone would be fighting and shaking their fists and burke and hare would be calling their lawyers uh but they just get that point and like for reasons you know, lost to time or the time doesn't want to talk about. Yeah. This did happened. He, how did one of them go and the other? I got to know. I'm going to write it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll never know. We'll never know. It's going to be an episode of Law and Order. It was probably like, mm, his skin wouldn't make a good book cover. <laughs> you can go. <laughs> the other one's in the corner with a fork. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, when we were writing Burke and Hare, we introduced them to Henry Gray from Gray's Anatomy. Not the show, <laughs> but the book. Um, and so The show doesn't adapt the book very well, I don't know. It takes so many a lot scenes of liberties, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think that... I don't know what either one is. <laughs> That's actually so true. Like when he says that, he, it's true. Um, but yeah, I think that that was really what I thought was so interesting was how, and of course it's about Burke and Hare, but that they stay so focused on that, the circle of their hell that they just, you know, yeah. their desperation is such that they will do anything 
obviously, to just stay alive, right? Mm-hmm. Or get whiskey, and we've all been there. Yes. <laughs> oh, God, the corpses the, for whiskey. It's my on. favorite Tom Waits song. <laughs> the, right? The two coppers in her hand was just brutal. Oh, and they can't get her hand open. Yeah. And the smell! <laughs> no, it's just so, um, every sound, the sound of the feet, you can tell it's on wood, everything is... It's so textured and rich. That's thank you. They paint this picture of the extreme poverty Mm -hmm. that all these people live in, their desperation, so that you almost feel for Burke and Hare to a certain degree. They're Mm -hmm. they're certainly villains, but they contextualize the world in which they live and what might motivate someone to do it. And then they take the time to pull back and show Knox as the real. Mm-hmm. Villain, right? Because if he weren't uh, supplying this opportunity, not that mm-hmm. Burke and Hare aren't right. responsible for if their actions. If you just gave them five yeah. instead of made them kill for 20. Right. Yeah. My favorite scene is the young student who recognizes that Jamie, the young singing boy, was murdered and Knox just shuts him down. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, something bad happens to him. We get the idea that he falls into ill repute and he's lurking around these same streets. So there yeah. is this sense of justice there, even though it's kind of vague, unspecific justice, as most justice is. <laughs> vague and unspecific. I think it's also interesting, too, how... Um, the narration of the Thomas Highland character. I and mean, then why is he called Thomas Highland? I mean, it's I have so. No idea. Yeah, it's such a regular name. And he has that sort of, we'll leave the light on kind of. <laughs> right. You know? Yeah. I'm so old. There's. <laughs> Google it. But there's just this strangeness to that narration. I, mm-hmm. I'm quite taken with it, but it's so. Yeah. Hilarious. It's interesting you say that because uh, what it reminds me of, the timing, pacing, flow, just that there's a general feel to all of it that somehow, and you're going to have to help me out, I don't know what it is, but it reminds me of Quiet, Please. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. there's something to this that has that same... There's a patience. There's a patience. That's the word. They're confident that they can pay this off. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. It's very patient. No one's getting to any castle. (laughs) As darkly humorous as Highland can be at times, other times he says really poignant things, like, you know, something to the effect of people who are dying the day they were born and is really Or when he says that they face death every day, Mm -hmm. it's a comment on the poverty that those victims had been living with. That would that experiment for the their, <laughs> death, their deaths are secondhand. Yes, mm. thank you. <laughs> Just wrecked it. <laughs> Thomas Highland was like, no, that's not what I said. But yeah, and it's so the language is so terse and like clean and yeah, it's really interesting. I'm I'm really <laughs> it reminds me of Jack Handy. <laughs> <laughs> I've Crime heard. classics with Jack Handy. <laughs> that. Have you ever killed a man for whiskey? I have. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, and I can never listen to it again. <laughs> but in, in in talking about the uh, the sympathy for Birkin Hair, as much as you know, there, this doesn't necessarily flinch at how horrible they were. That nice smooth transition of it's a cold room and people die in it. It's a cold room and this guy is dying in it, but they'd like some whiskey now. 
Mm-hmm. It's these easy little steps to hell. Yeah, and the, this recurring <laughs> motif of all the characters that are so desperate, they, despite all the red flags, they agree to go get For this... For cobbling? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. These free shoes. Right. And get they, 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 it's clear that they are like, this can't be <laughs> true. But if it is, it's the best thing that's ever happened to me in my life, so it's worth the risk. Yeah. But I love that, too, because if you don't have shoes, tick-tock. I, I mean, that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm laughing like, that's hilarious. But, people don't, but it's, it's really true. Like, What's that's, the, if you don't have shoes, you're done. But the uh, Irish cops, they came over. Uh, yes, I, that was when, I, when Frank McCourt, I heard him share stories from when he wrote Angela's Ashes, and he talked about there were so many Irish immigrants who came over who became cocks because you got a pair of shoes. Mm-hmm. And you also got... Status. Yeah, you, right. know, you immediately had a job that you could blend. It's very, it's quite moving. But yes, that would be worth everything, except when it's Birkin. Yes. <laughs> Don't go to Birkin Hare's house <laughs> or pigsty. Where were they too? The smell. The smell. <laughs> you know, one yeah. of those like pigsty <laughs> shoe stores that you go to. You know. <laughs> <laughs> in the 80s it was like tanning bait That's, and movies you picked your pig <laughs> <laughs> and then you got some shoes got your shoes <laughs> got a little bacon got some shoes <laughs> pulled it out of a tank they're swimming around <laughs> great now it's funnier to me any other thoughts on this episode I think the we can women. vote sure uh, Tim, you brought it. You start. Oh, yes. We oh, should yes. That's the audience. Okay, yeah, here yeah, we go. yeah. Uh, if you think this is a classic, give a round of applause. Oh. Yeah. A little more than Enthusiasm. <laughs> uh, if you think it stands the test of time. Maybe, yeah. yeah. It's certainly of historical interest. Right. Yeah, you can't even argue that. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> Who says it shouldn't uh, never be broadcast again on, on any <laughs> Who form hated of media? Good. Aww. There you go. Like, this is the secret to people loving your old time radio show. Don't put Ethel Merman in it. Apparently, <laughs> just a woman, you know, screeching human hair. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just, me, that was a job skill at one point. Yeah. So I can see on your resume you can yeah. scream. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was social media. <laughs> that is social media. I'm up. having peach cobbler. <laughs> Opinions. <laughs> and cat hair. And hair. Tim, you brought it. You start. I call it a classic. I. I mean, I. I might just go through episode after episode of crime classics and say classic, classic, classic. Well, uh, it's in the name. In all true. Fairness, yes, you can't help it. Um, but it's so charming and horrible, <laughs> which is my sweet spot. <laughs> I really enjoyed it, despite the three minutes in there where I cannot wrap my head around what that guy's saying. But it doesn't matter because it was great. It's it's suspenseful. It's horrific. It's true. It's uh, really well produced. Uh, you know, Shannon making that joke, the smell, the smell, but that's testimony to what they were doing, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so th- I think it's a classic. I think it's really, really, really good, really compelling and really terrible uh, <laughs> and, and hard to listen to. And uh, yeah, it was great. You had mentioned the music too, that Bernard Herman, who was so just amazing. Right. It's Bernard Herman. Uh, and right. delivered something fantastic for this, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, I love crime classics. To me, this is another. I, it's hard to tell if it's a classic. I need to listen to more crime classics, but it is certainly uh, uh, on the cusp of classic for me. Uh, <laughs> I just really admire this era of radio. It's strange to have so much confidence, so much, so much sense of uh, security in their form at this time when they were just a couple years from dying as an art form with uh, mm. television just chomping up all the advertising dollars and things like that. But the, Elliot Lewis, who directed this, uh, also directed uh, the episode we listened to last time, and he's just an amazing talent and a great actor. So it's, it's just an impressive piece of audio drama. Thank you for bringing it, Tim. Yay. Shannon? Thank you, Tim. Yeah, Crime Class. I am a fan, definitely. So yes to all the questions. I don't know what the questions are. But this is the, <laughs> the begin. you know, the first rip from the headlines and our true yeah. crime renaissance that's happening right now. I mean, I can kind of believe that people didn't do it sooner. No. You know, you have to write stuff. <laughs> President shot by actor. You know, like, <laughs> stuff like that. I mean, they're just like, zip, you know. President so. shot by Ethel Merman. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I loved it. I loved it. Well, there you have it. Unanimous. Way to go, nice. crime classics. Uh, Tim, tell them stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com. That is the home of this podcast. You'll find many other episodes there that we refer to constantly as though like you all know them and you've all listened to them, of course, we assume. Um, you can also vote in polls. Let us know what you think. Leave comments. Send us messages. Make requests. Make demands. Make threats. Please don't make threats. I'm sorry I said that. Ah, <laughs> you can also link to our social media pages and buy some uh, moral swag at our Threadless store and support us on Patreon. Yes, you can be like many of the fine people in our audience tonight and you can join Patreon and uh, support this podcast. We need a lot of support. Uh, but I do want to take a moment to thank everybody who is watching this right now because they <laughs> give us money and make all this possible and uh, people here in the audience. And I would like to take a moment to give a special acknowledgement to uh, Christy and Jeff who are here on their 24th wedding anniversary. Oh, yeah! Give them a round of applause. <laughs> oh. All right. This was romantic. Yes. Aww. Now you can judge them a little. That's fine. This is their choice. I'm so judging. This is what you did? <laughs> oh, it's great. Oh, why would you do that? You could have done something. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go see that. Really? All right. Thank you. That's cool. Like, yeah. I just have my low esteem, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, what were we talking about? I'm just shocked by that. Uh, oh, hey, if you want to see us performing live, you come see us perform live. We do uh, audio theater, recreations of uh, classic old-time radio shows, sometimes not so classic, and a lot of our own original work. We perform them live on stage. The four of us right here are the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society. We perform monthly Again, unless it's super in the future. <laughs> and you can find out where we're performing and what we're performing by going to ghoulishdelights.com. And there you'll see what's going on this month. And you can uh, find out how to get tickets. If you can't be where we're at, you can get them online. You can watch us online or you can uh, uh, watch it later and still buy a ticket online. Speaking of online and all of that, I want to take a moment to, for these live podcasts we did uh, last week that you listened to and this week. Our thanks to Aaron Fiskrad. Uh, who uh, got all of this up. He's our technician for morals, and thank you so much, Aaron, for getting us up and running and all of the stuff that you do. 
That's what we call a callback. Uh, so, yeah, is that everything? Well, what's coming up next? Next, we will be listening to an episode of Lights Out entitled Death Robbery. Until then. <laughs> yeah! Now we're talking. Death Robbery. Thank you, everybody. Look out! Ranging from truly classic cases like Jack the Ripper and the assassination of Abraham Lincoln to lesser-known crimes such as Bethesda Spooner, the first woman in the United States to be tried and executed for murder. And now a little peek behind the curtain. We're going to throw a pickup in here because I think I got it wrong. Bathsheba. Mm-hmm. It's no big deal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's actually pronounced Bethany. I didn't tell you that. I'm sorry. This is live. This is being streamed.